0: Watch this. This, 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 this.
1: You're listening to
2: The Word on Long Beach. And now, Jackie Ray.
0: Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach, brought to you by the Long Beach Post. I'm your host, Jackie Ray. I'm truly, truly excited about today's show. A colleague of mine here at The Post introduced me to Caesar McDowell. Now, Caesar, he is the founder of Unite the People, Inc., and he spent 20 years in prison for a non-violent offense based on California's three-strike rule. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about that shortly. And then in the second segment, an attorney who works with Unite the People shares more about the struggles and obstacles we would need to overcome to have a more effective justice system. But first, I want you to hear in his own words, why a non-violent domestic situation led to Caesar McDowell being incarcerated for 20 years. Take a listen.
2: Well, the way that they got, the way the senten- sentencing structure is set up is if you've been in any trouble in your past, then it's up to the DA's discretion on how long they want to sentence you to for anything. So even though my charges were nonviolent, misdemeanor charges, they now can call what, what they call it as a wobbler. So they'll say, okay, what you did was actually a misdemeanor. But because you've been in trouble in your past, we have the discretion now to change this misdemeanor to a felony. So what they did was I had three life sentences. They gave me, I got an argument with my wife. I was, me and Mitch, we're, our families were together. I was married, her family was there. And we were watching like it was Holyfield or Roy Jones way back in 2000. And we were loud watching the fight. And the neighbors called the police, Please come knock on our door, tell us to keep it down. But when they leave, they go, and my car's in the driveway out in the front, and they run my plates. So when they run my plates, they see, oh, this guy's on parole. So they go back to my house and knock on the door and say, hey, uh, where's the guy that answered the door? I'm in the back to the minute. You answered the door. I know why they came back. Mm -hmm. And they knock on the door, and they say, well, where's the guy that answered the door? And they're like, he's right here. So they come in. Hey, you're on parole. They take me to Chino whenever you are on parole back then I don't know about now but when you were on parole back then any contact with the police they take you to Chino mm. and then you have to wait and see the committee and the committee would be like okay well, why did the police okay we'll let you go or not now the situation happened where it took them 9 months to let me go so during that 9 months I was a young guy about 24 25 years old I would be calling home, you know, to my buddies in the neighborhood, like, yeah, man, i am be getting out soon or whatever. And they kept telling me, hey, the police are at your house. The police are always at your house. So I'm thinking, like, oh, well, maybe they're trying to build a case against me or something. I'm really young. I don't really, I didn't catch it. So then when I come home, I'm walking my son. I had two sons at the time. One was two, one was six. I'm walking my six-year-old son out to the car. I'm going to take him to school. And... My wife and, you know, my ex-wife now, but my wife and my two-year-old son was in the house still. So when I'm walking my son out to the car, there's a cop car driving down the street. And my six-year-old looks at him and goes, hey, Daddy, look, there's the cop that spends the night with Mommy every night while you're gone. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. No, this is what everybody's been trying to tell me. I still take him to school. Okay, son, let's go to school. I can't wait to get back home, Right. <laughs> So I take him to school, I drop him off, I come back home, and she, I would have bet my life, if you'd ever said, Cesar, hey, is your wife having an affair? Never. It's impossible, right? And I walk in the house, she's right there with my two-year-old, I say, hey, you having sex with a cop? The cop that took me to jail? And she just looks at me like, you're looking at me now. And I lose it. I go, oh, man, I'm cussing, and I'm packing my stuff, right? I'm mad. I'm out of here. While I'm packing my stuff, I'm throwing things around. Like, if this is right here, this is mine. I'm throwing everything around in the house, and I do tell her. And I tell her, hey, B-Word, I will kill you. You sleeping with the cop, and I'm using good words. You sleeping with the cop that took me to jail? The guy that cuffed me and took me in is coming back? And so I'm packing my stuff. I'm throwing stuff around. I'm cussing her out. And I'm leaving out the front door. While I'm leaving out the front door, she knows like I was raised by a really good dude. I love my pops. You know, I was his biggest fan, right, man, and my brothers. And so she knew I'm family oriented. So she grabs my two year old and comes to the door, and like, are oh, you just gonna leave your babies? I tell her, uh, B word, get back in the house. I'm out of here. I jump in my car and I leave. So that's the end of the crime. That's the end of my story. They gave me three life sentences for that. They gave me life, terrorist threat. When I said, B-word, I would kill you for sleeping with the cop that took me to jail. Mm-hmm. They gave me life for telling her, B-word, get back in the house. They called it false imprisonment. Mm-hmm. They gave me life for child endangerment, for arguing in front of my two-year-old son. And so out of that, I did 20 years. I did 20 years straight on that. She was on my side, right? But the way that they have the laws, if they ask you what she said at first, the originally, it went different things. I could, I could show you a police report where she says, I hate him. Hope he gets the electric chair. I can show you a police report that says the initial very first one said, well, all we had was an argument. And you know they said, OK, well, what did he say to an argument? And she told him what I said, exactly what I told you. I said, well, were you scared why he said that? Well, of course I was scared. He's throwing stuff around the house. And she didn't understand by law in California, everything that just happened is not a crime until you say, yes, I was scared. Mm-hmm. So now it's out they call it force or fear. So you had fear of him when he said that. Yes, okay, that's a misdemeanor. You say, yes, that's a misdemeanor. But I had it passed. So they gave it to the DA and the, to the DA's discretion. The DA said, yeah, we're going to charge him as felonies and we're going to give him life for all these so i was sentenced to three life sentences
0: now it is worth noting that under california penal code section 422 pc it is illegal to make criminal threats there are seven key points to prove that someone is guilty of making those threats the defendant willfully threatened to unlawfully kill or unlawfully cause great bodily injury or harm to another person The defendant made the threat orally in writing or via electronic communication. The defendant intended that his or her statement be understood as a threat. The threat was so clear, immediate, unconditional, and specific that it communicated to the other person a serious intention and that the immediate prospect that the threat would be carried out, the threat actually caused the other person to be in fear for their own safety or the safety of their family. And the person's fear was reasonable under the circumstances. It's also important to note that under the law, it doesn't matter at all if these are just idle threats that are spoken in anger and the person who says it has no intention of carrying out that threat. It also doesn't matter if the person saying it doesn't have the means or ability to carry out that threat. While Caesar McDowell believes that this law and his wife's involvement with an officer played a part in his lengthy prison sentence, neither were the motivating factor to start the nonprofit. That spark came from an antidote from his father.
2: My father used to have a saying. He used to have, he used to always say, oh man, let me hold $150,000 so I can see further, right? And he would say that as a joke to everybody. And I kind of picked that up. And so I say it all the time. Like, if you're around me, you're like, that's what we're talking about. But it just comes out naturally. So I'd be saying that in prison. I'd be like, man, uh, hey, man, let me hold 150000 so I can see further. Everybody's response, nine and a half out of ten, is going to be, man, if I had 150000 I wouldn't be in here. And that's someone's natural response to you because... They they had a public defender. They had somebody that, don't, and a lot of people don't know, unless you're involved in the system. These public defenders are not on your team. They're an extension of the district attorney's office. They get paid by the same people. They eat lunch with the same people, and they don't even know it. They're telling their wives and their kids that I'm fighting to come home, but you're done. So now your public defender is going to sell you up the river, tell you like, yeah, yeah, you got to take a hundred year deal. You know what I mean? So knowing that seeing these guys and talking with my brother mitch you know he was out here and man i want to do something to help the people so we started unite the people and we started a three strikes initiative i ran a campaign to change the three strikes law in california from my prison cell hilarious right but i mean i literally did you know during count times i'd be sneaking on my phone but i built our first website on a cell phone in prison. Even though you know you weren't supposed to have it, they did end up catching it later, but it was already too, you know, I did. Mm-hmm. I built our first WordPress website, I filed all of the articles of the corporation, got everything started with me and my brother, and we just grew it into, but when we first started the organization, when we first put up our first website in our social media, we put out our email on that, right? And one day, I think it was 2017, we got like 30, 40,000 emails within like a 60-day period. And it was all people from California that needed help. And like a proposition just passed, Proposition 57 just passed. And they said they're going to let all the nonviolent three-strikers have a hearing and go home. But CDCR found a loophole, and then they told us, none of you guys are going home, period.
0: Based on what? What was the loophole that they found?
2: When they, when they wrote Proposition 57... That came from Governor Brown, right? Mm -hmm. And in that Prop 57, I think on the third page at the bottom, what he says is, we're going to give discretion to CDCR to make sure that they don't let out any violent people so the public doesn't have to worry about you know public safety issues with with violent people mm-hmm. coming out of prison
0: the problem with prop 57 is ongoing in fact in march of 2020 the san diego tribune collected corrections data and found that only 20% of all eligible nonviolent offenders had been granted parole from july of 2017 when voters approved the proposition through 2020 2,603 inmates were granted release, while parole was denied to 10,397. Inmates being denied release is what gave Unite the People, Inc. the spark it needed, and it grew from there.
2: We wanted to do something that everybody could afford. And, you know, you had to get a team of lawyers that were advocate lawyers first, not necessarily big money lawyers, and legal team members. I mean, we started off with all volunteers, then it grew to one person being paid, then two. I remember when we pay, started paying the first person, I was crazy. I was like, man, this is real business. We're going to get the people. We're going to help them, Jack. And then it went to two, three, four. And then now you know we have a full staff. We have lawyers. And it's not a big money thing, though. Like people, you guys want to know this, but people in my world, I get messages every day. Hey, brother, can I hold some money? And they just don't understand that with what's going on here, there's times that these old lady, older ladies, or, you know, people call, and they don't have a nickel. But, you know, I am finna die, I wanna help my grandson, can you please help me? So what I'll do is, you know, and I don't say this like I'm some hero or none of that, but I literally lived on soups and tunas for 20 years. So what I'll do is I'll take my paycheck, and I'll tell them, give my paycheck to her for her case. And then I literally, I can show you in my house, I got a box of uh, soups, and a cadmium of tunas. And I'll just go those 30 days, knock that out. We help that lady. Hopefully it works, you know what I mean? And so that's what we do. So it's not something that's a big money situation, but it's something that helps a lot of people.
0: Now, just before I interviewed Caesar McDowell about Unite the People, Inc., rapper, producer, and singer-songwriter Tori Lanes came in to donate $50,000 to pay off the legal fees for several families who are currently working with the nonprofit. Cesar McDowell says this is a reminder that not only does the work they do require money, educating people about our flawed justice system is vital as well.
2: But educating the people on it is where it starts, because then people can see where they can get involved. And again, I'm a big advocate of donating to organizations. like Now that I know and I see what it takes to run an organization or to keep an organization you know, open running, it's, it's, it, it takes money. And fighting these people cases, none of this is easy. Every every family that came in here today, as you heard probably the only thing, they've been fighting for years. And there's a lot of lawyers out there that will just take your money. And then you can't call them. You can't talk to them. Yes, yeah, Unite the People. They can go to our website, unitethepeople.org. There's a donate button there. They could donate if they want to You know, come into the office. We're 555 East Ocean Boulevard, Suite 205 Long Beach, California, 90802. Uh, they could give us a call. They can donate right over the phone at 888 245 9393. But no, nah, but yeah, they could donate anyway. Some people donate their time. One of the ladies, uh, I don't know if I'm saying her name, but one of the ladies that was out there with the tall guy, she comes in and donates her time. She comes in and sits at the desk, answers phones, scans paperwork. And there's a lot of ways that people can get involved. Some people don't have time, so they prefer to donate money.
0: Now, if you couldn't tell caesar is very approachable he's also very passionate about helping those avoid being in the position that he was in or gain their freedom so as mentioned unite the people inc has an office located at 555 east ocean boulevard suite 205 that you can drop by you can call them at 888-245-9393 Or you can donate as well. You can do that by visiting unitethepeople.org, And don't forget, you can donate your time or your money. Up next, we'll meet Muhammad Ali. He is an attorney with Unite the People, Inc., and he will give us an insight on not only what he does as a nonprofit attorney, but he will also point out areas that need improving within our justice system. Stay with us.
1: The Word on Long Beach is brought to you by Community Hospital Long Beach, Community Hospital is now open, serving the community since 1924 and singularly focused on providing patients with the very best in healthcare services. Community Hospital, restored, reopened, reimagined. And Cambrian Home Care. Cambrian Home Care has been assisting individuals to stay independent in their homes for 25 years. Flexible experience you can trust when the best place is still at home. To learn more, please visit cambrianhomecare.com.
0: Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach, brought to you by the Long Beach Post. Once again, I'm your host, Jackie Ray. And please do not forget that this podcast is here for you. So if there is something happening in your community that you think needs more investigation, or if there's something happening that you think the rest of the community needs to know about, please, please email me at Jackie, which is J-A-C-K-I-E. So it's Jackie at lbpost.com, or you can DM me on Twitter and Instagram. You just find me at the fanatic Now, Keeping with our Unite the People theme, I'm excited to introduce you to Muhammad Ali. He's general counsel with a nonprofit who formerly worked with Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition. Now he says he began working with Unite the People because of his desire to help.
1: A lot of reasons why I wanted to join and help people, you know, escape uh, our system of incarceration. Um, Some of the people that I now have the privilege of representing Uh, Are either wrongfully incarcerated or have been given excessive sentences. Um, Some of them are trying to uh, present new evidence to the court establishing their actual innocence. Um, Others are uh, seeking representation and raising new laws, either new court decisions or new statutes that are passed by our legislature that could benefit them. And there's a gap uh, that many defendants face in terms of uh, being able to afford legal representation in contexts where they are not entitled to an appointed attorney. So our Sixth Amendment to our Constitution uh, gives people the right to an attorney and if they cannot afford an attorney to represent them when they are charged with either a felony or a misdemeanor, the court will appoint them an attorney. The uh, The difference between a felony and a misdemeanor, by the way, is a misdemeanor is any case in which the potential for criminal exposure would be less than one year of jail. Uh, A felony is anything greater than a year. So you have the right to an appellate attorney who can uh, file an appeal, and then if they believe that their appeal was incorrectly decided by the Court of Appeals, they can seek a petition for review to the California Supreme Court. After that, if the California Supreme Court either denies review or uh, affirms the decision, they uh, essentially return uh, the file to the client and the representation is over. From there, you no longer have the right to appointed counsel. So if a new law passes, that could benefit you. You have to figure out a way to study in the prison law library or find a jailhouse lawyer who may or may not know what they're doing or somehow scrounge up the money to... Uh, hire an attorney. And many of the attorneys that represent people at that point charge an amount that leaves people priced out of getting legal representation. Many of my clients are people that uh, are priced out of the legal market and uh, a lot of them are are seeking legal representation because they know in their heart of hearts that the system failed them and that they're innocent. And and so I have a lot of faith in uh, our clients the, by virtue of the fact that they are looking for legal help, because they do believe uh, that their uh, that their rights were violated.
0: How is it? How much do you think it plays in? When I just spoke to a woman outside, and she said that her son was uh, convicted of armed. A convicted of robbery, but there was no gun involved, no one was hurt, but he so received 34 years and then also received a gun enhancement even though no gun was involved of 10 years. How how much of that do you think is due to being, e- even if you are represented, being underrepresented because you don't have the money for a good attorney?
1: Well, I, I, I don't know the specifics of that particular case, but um, what I do know is that uh, we have a system that has I believe as a result of the tough on crime era in the 90s, uh, passed laws that could greatly increase your sentence uh, to the point where you are serving much longer time for the enhancements than you are for the substance of crime. So for a robbery where a typical sentence is maybe you know two years or three years, Again, because of the particular way in which the crime is committed, that two or three-year sentence could be enhanced to now be a decades-long sentence for a robbery. And so we have to uh, think, you know, as a society, of is this really a fair and proportionate punishment to have people that are sentenced for decades, um, maybe because uh, they're... Uh, conduct or the particular defendant uh, qualifies for one or more sentence enhancements. The thing that you have to consider is that we have these so-called uh, anti- recidivist enhancements, which mean that uh, for example, if you have a prior serious felony within the past five years, you get an ex- you get an e- extra additional five year enhancement on top of the charges because you picked up a new case. So instead of thinking, we have not rehabilitated this person, we've not accomplished our goals of rehabilitation, right? And this person is a recidivist, right? And so this person needs additional help, we give them additional jail time. It's backwards. It's completely backwards. Um, so the, the enhancements go, fall under the categories of punishing uh the particular defendant based on uh, their eligibility for enhancement based on, the, let's say, their prior record or, or uh, the enhancements pertain to their conduct because of the way, the manner in which the crime was committed. The, uh, the conduct enhancements uh, require, I think, uh, significant reform by virtue of the fact that robbery is never excusable. These crimes are not defensible, but we used to believe as a society in proportional punishment, and uh, these enhancements create vastly disproportionate punishment by virtue of the fact that they can become, as I said, they can, be, they can become stacked. So The same crime could be enhanced in multiple different ways in, 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 in a manner that is, uh, in an ag- creates an aggregate sentence that is, that is vastly disproportionate to the conduct. Um the, the, we, we we, I think, have a cultural understanding of the coercive nature of of uh, plea bargains, where ninety percent or more of cases resolve in pleas. the The criminal defense attorney representing a defendant, whether it's appointed counsel or private counsel, has to do the very difficult job of explaining to their client, sometimes a, a completely innocent client that a prison term that is offered to them, which might include a lengthy prison sentence avoids a potential exposure when taking into account these enhancements that could be decades long. So because of the potential exposure that you're facing as a result of all of the enhancements that a, uh, that a prosecutor can allege, sometimes to avoid that probability of a disastrous, you know, prison term that would essentially end your life. You you plead. And so we have a we have a coercive plea barney plea bargaining process as a result of these sentence enhancements.
0: You made a, a good point about, you know, that's not we're not doing a good job rehabilitating the people that are in there. And I and I think that's a fantastic point. So just on a personal um note, I probably not much in regards to how you feel as an attorney, but on a personal note, I don't think the the prison system really is a place to garnish reform. How could we fix that? In a perfect world, how would we fix that?
1: Some of the safest countries, some of the most successful countries at reducing their crime rate, are the Scandinavian countries. And look at how the prison prisons look in, in that, you know, in that area of the world, um, in countries like Norway. Um, it, it really is geared towards rehabilitation both in the the severity of the punishment the the length of the prison terms but also in the way that their uh, their jail system their prison system you know respects an individual's humanity and our system our system does anything but that the reforms that have allowed people to reintegrate into society again that is something that we've started to see the seeds of uh, you know th- th- those reforms being instituted but we need more of uh, one example would be um, I believe last year uh, governor Newsom signed a bill that would allow people that participate in fire camp potentially get jobs as firefighters I mean we have a system where we um, have essentially and a lot of activists including myself uh, make this claim we haven't really abolished slavery in this country. The, the 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 13th amendment has a pretty big loophole that allows slavery to continue as long as there are people that are imprisoned. And so companies, I mean major companies, Fortune 500 companies, their profits are driven by their ability to use free labor, to use prison labor, to use slave labor. This doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the ordinary people that are put out of jobs. And it doesn't help the people that are put into this system that's starting to feel a lot less motivated by rehabilitation and safety and starting to feel more like a system that requires and needs to perpetuate a population that we can continue to enslave in this country. So removing the profit motive of keeping people incarcerated requires rethinking this system where companies are allowed and institutions are allowed to use free labor. Whenever there's a a potential reform to to, to our sentencing laws, um, the uh, Unfortunately, the public sector employees and their unions that uh, feel as though their livelihoods are threatened by these reforms, they come out hard in uh, campaign contributions, um, in uh, political advertisements um, against reforms. So the the district attorneys associations, the prison guards associations, um, the people that believe uh, that their jobs would be uh, threatened by ending you know, these injustices, they come out hard and they influence our leaders and they have power. Um, I don't think that there's ever going to be reform in a way that reaffirms our humanity and really protects our society um, unless we see a strong and robust opposition from the community uh, rejecting uh, these uh, Uh, these very influential um, unions and 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 their lobbyists Uh, again the seeds of that reform are already being planted Uh, the bill that I mentioned that allows you know uh, people that fought fires dangerous wildfires in California which as a result of uh, climate change we're seeing uh, an increase year after year and these are people that are incarcerated that earn additional credits. They're not required. Nobody's putting. I don't want to. I, I don't want to say that anybody is, uh, you know, threatening the threatening uh, you know uh, incarcerated people uh, with beatings or longer prison sentences necessarily. Uh, it's it's a little bit more insidious to that. It it basically we've created a system that says by default, right, your maybe uh, your robbery or your whatever you know serious you know, uh, prison-eligible sentence is, right, which used to only carry, you know, a sentence of a couple of years, can be enhanced to be a decades-long sentence. So that's your starting point. You now have a decades-long sentence. Yeah. If you want to just sit there and not participate in any sort of rehabilitative programming or if you reject work assignments or you just want to continue serving your sentence, you're serving that sentence based on... Um, you know, based on, uh, you know, the, the penal code, right? But the, the penal code also provides that if you do things like participate in fire camp, you're earning, you're earning quicker credits. If, if you have these conduct credits because you are now diligently completing your work assignments, you're earning these these, these conduct credits. So, in a way, we're making you an offer that you can't refuse go risk your life fighting these fires, and you'll get out of that decades-long sentence a little bit quicker. So of course people are gonna go risk their lives fighting these fires. But then when they're told when you leave prison, you can't get a job as a firefighter, which you've been doing for years, again, we're making it clear that the job isn't, the, the goal isn't to rehabilitate people to find jobs because we're barring them from jobs that they're capable of doing. And it's not just firefighting. I use that as an example because that's a example of a reform that can be replicated, right, in other contexts. Because people do get jobs in the in our prison system, that can be pretty sophisticated. They also get training and they pick up degrees in areas that you know are skilled labor. But because of their uh, because of their criminal records, they can get jobs because of the stigma that we culturally put on people. They can't get jobs performing these tasks. So more laws um, allowing for the expungements of prior offenses make all the sense in the world if you're trying to rehabilitate people. The only reason why you wouldn't um, expunge these offenses is so that you could use them to enhance future sentences. And it comes full circle with these enhancements, these con- these. Uh, anti-recidivist enhancements so it's completely backwards not we we specifically place barriers to re-entry and to rehabilitation on people so we can continue punishing them for not rehabilitating
0: I want to give a huge thank you to Caesar McDowell um, attorney Muhammad Ali and of course Tory Lanes, who surprised everyone by showing up when I was there to do the interview and donate money to those families. If you want to know more about that story, please check that out on lbpost.com. This was such a great story for me to do. On one hand, it left me very saddened and somewhat hopeless, if I'm being honest, because it just seems like this is a song and dance we've been doing for quite a while, and it doesn't seem like this song and dance is going to go away anytime soon. But then it left me with a sense of hope as well, because there is a team of attorneys who work with Unite the People, Inc. that don't have to. They could be seeking those high-paying jobs. And then Caesar, he could be out here just enjoying his freedom. But instead, he's giving back. These attorneys are giving back. And I think all of us should learn to give back as well. I feel like in my heart, we've become a very selfish society. And we we care more about self than the plight of our fellow man, especially the plight especially if that plight doesn't affect us personally so i do think we need to get better in that and it was good for me to see people who are trying to do that but that's all the time we have for the word on long beach this week please make sure that you subscribe on our soundcloud channel again if you have an idea please reach out to me via email at jackie at lb post or on social media at jraythefanatic. you guys be safe and we'll see you next week